Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. Hey, what's up? It's Devin, and I got some fun news for you. You remember that episode last week about KQED's newest podcast, Truth Be Told? Well, Tanya and the team are having a live show on June 13th in Oakland. I got my ticket already. It's going to be a great time. Get yours at kqed.org slash events. See you there. The Bay Area likes to think of itself as a place where you can come and be creative and be surrounded by creative people. That's been a draw for a lot of us. But getting paid enough for your passion, that's another story. In order to get to this stage, I have to spend hours composing. Yeah, I may love to dance, but I don't love to dance in a context in which I'm being disrespected. New research out of Duke University shows us that people are more likely to exploit workers who are passionate about what they do. And it's not just artists, teachers, social workers, designers. There are a lot of you who feel overworked and underpaid all because you get to do what you love. Today, how making a living in the Bay Area out of your passion comes with a price. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Nastia Voinovskaya is an editor with KQED Arts. In March, Nastia wrote a story about how San Francisco's Apple Store pays artists who perform there in merchandise. We got tons of responses actually from artists I didn't even know had been asked to perform at Apple that once my story came out, they publicly said, yeah, we turned this down. Um, they asked us to play for free and we said no. Some artists liked the exposure that Apple gave them, but others questioned why a multi-billion dollar company didn't pay artists money for some gigs, and what kind of precedent that sets for the arts industry where people are trying to make a living. After the story published, more people reached out to Nastia. So I heard from about a dozen people. and They included um, graphic designers, comedians, musicians, just all types of creatives all over the map that told all kinds of different stories about being asked to work for free, like people contracted them for work and didn't pay them. We saw that this was a really common occurrence across the board in all kinds of creative disciplines. Someone even tweeted Nastia a link to a study out of Duke University that shows how people use passion as justification for exploiting people in the creative fields. So Nastia checked it out. Professor Aaron Kay and a few other researchers found people actually find it more justifiable for workers to sacrifice sleep and family time, um, work extra hours unpaid, and take on demeaning tasks outside of their job description if they're passionate about what they do. So basically, people use passion as a justification for unfair work conditions. It's becoming clear that this is happening in a wider range of professions. So I interviewed Duke University Business School professor Aaron Kay. This idea that people might be getting exploited because people are assuming they're getting to do what they love 
was sort of intuitive for a long time to artists, sort of the idea of the broke artist doing it out of love. And recent doctoral graduate Jay Kim, who was actually the lead researcher on the study. A lot of sociologists are pointing to this apparent trend that people are increasingly thinking work as a, as a place where um, you need to also enjoy, you need to have fun. Across the board in all kinds of industries, there's this increasing expectation for work to kind of be your life's calling. It's a trend that a lot of sociologists are pointing to actually that Americans are looking to work as kind of like their ultimate source of fulfillment. What kind of people are we talking about who are working passionately and being exploited? I think this really in the Bay Area happens across the board in all kinds of different industries. In the arts, we have people coming here to create and to make music and to perform. And there's so much competition in that and so many people just hungry to get their name out there. There's also such a deep history of social justice organizing here, and people come here to work in nonprofits to make a change because they're really driven, or um, they come here to be teachers or social workers. And then there's also, you know, the history of tech here and people coming up with the next great big idea. So there's also people in that field who are willing to do it by any means necessary. I think this is an important part to talk about because Somebody looking at an artist doing what they really love, I I feel like it could be easy to point at them and be like, but they love doing that. They'll do it 24 hours a day if they want. But this this is complicating that idea because you're rolling in all the other parts of life that are really hard and you're putting pressure on those parts of life because they're doing their work. Yeah, actually, Kay talks about this. If you're doing more of your art, you might be doing less of something else. They may love their job. But they may not want to miss hanging out at their kids, you know, softball game over the weekend for their job. That doesn't mean they don't love other <laughs> things, too. And so forcing them to do more of it and assuming that's just more joy for them, when you got to realize, like everyone else, they're trying to balance their lives. It's almost like the work is seen as a reward in and of itself when it deserves compensation. I spoke with Larissa Archer, the founder of San Francisco Belly Dance Theater, and she is a a longtime dance professional who says that she often has to turn down gigs that just pay, you know, a few dollar bills and tips. If you can dance in a bar for 20 minutes and then you go around with a basket and someone sees if they have a dollar in their disgusting sweaty jean pocket, it's not just that you're barely making your taxi money to go home. It's that you are creating a completely distorted and contemptuous regard for your work. Do we see this idea of passion exploitation showing up in other industries? Yeah, so we see this idea of passion becoming increasingly important in areas outside of the arts or nonprofits. Like, I actually did a search on Craigslist while reporting this story, and I found 2,600 job openings that use the word passion for things like sales associate at a hardware store or a caretaker in a nursing home. And then also um, I found through talking to various experts like the UC Hastings professor Vina Duval that passion also is kind of an underlying theme in the rhetoric of the gig economy where like Lyft or Uber kind of have this be your own boss, make your own schedule rhetoric. Like you're a passionate person pursuing bigger dreams and you're just doing this side gig. But then what really ends up happening is they're doing the work of a taxi driver for much less pay. They're using this 
notion, apparently deeply embedded notion that we have culturally that if you enjoy your work or you're passionate about it or if there's independence or flexibility at all, which is what artists have, then somehow you are not deserving of the same protections that traditional employees are deserving of. I think for our generation, like, we're, we're both millennials, and mm-hmm. I don't know, I think we're raised with this idea of, like, you can be what you want to be, and it's your chance to really make a difference, and that's that's the kind of rhetoric I personally was brought up with. And then with, you know, more gender equality in the workplace, there's a lot of women in the workforce who don't see family as their number one priority. Like, work is increasingly occupying that role in their career, There's this Atlantic article that I read called Workism. They talk a lot about um, how basically, like, as the role of family and religion are kind of falling away, at least for a lot of, like, young city dwellers, work is kind of becoming that, that place where we define ourselves. I think that's so interesting. And I wonder, like, when I hear that, I wonder who's pushing that idea. Like, I wonder where that's coming from. Is it coming from us and our families and our upbringings saying, you can do it? Or is it, like, coming from, like, a darker space of capitalism or, like, work businesses and pushing that idea that you should be doing it, you can do it, look, we'll help you do it. And in the end, people kind of get screwed. Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of those things. It's, like, cultural and systemic at the same time. But also, I think here in the Bay Area, it's... It's almost part of like the lack of affordability because you have to work so much to afford to live here. So then people's jobs kind of become their number one thing. A lot of people can't afford to have kids or a family or like buy a house. So then you're you basically kind of look to work for for that greater meaning in your life. And the passion thing is such a double-edged sword too because on one hand it's kind of this illusion of freedom like I'm following my life's calling at my work and I'm doing what I love. And there's that saying that I hate that's like, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in (laughs) your life. Yeah, right. Yeah. So people are kind of following that, that desire for freedom and independence. And then they're kind of getting the opposite by, um, being so married to their jobs, you know, that like leisure becomes secondary and the other things that create a fulfilling life because work isn't the only one, right? Like our communities, our families, our leisure and things like that. Um, those things fall away. So do you think like one solution to this is for artists just to say no to some of the work that's coming to them? Or would that be more damaging to them? I think that it is pretty wise for artists to say no to free or exploitative work because if if there's an abundance of people willing to take free gigs then that kind of creates this dynamic where it's a lot harder for other people to argue for higher wages so i think if there was kind of more like a collective push for fair pay that would definitely make an impact. It would be hard for artists or maybe even impossible for artists to solve this alone without the help of local legislators. There's no minimum wage for a musician playing a gig, but, you know, why isn't there? We kind of just take that for granted that people can play for tips or play for free, but it's the entertainment that draws people into venues in the first place, so that might be something worth exploring. Do you do you find yourself now reflecting on the time that you spend outside of, like, an eight-hour day thinking about this story and thinking about your own <laughs> your own situation? 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I was um, reporting this passion exploitation story. I actually found it really hard to not work overtime because I got so <laughs> passionate about uh, the exposing the passion exploitation that, um, you know, I was like reading these studies all the time and stuff. And they're, they're pretty complicated, like academic statistical texts. So I, I had to actually stop myself from reading them at home and do it on the clock. To get to this point in my career, I have worked in kind of less than fair conditions, and doing this research actually helped me like name that experience and understand how it works. Nastia Voinovskaya is an editor with KQED Arts. If you want to share your story about taking or turning down a gig because of how it would be compensated, let us know. KQED Arts has a form that we'll link to in today's episode notes. You can also hit Nastia up on Twitter. She's at NanaNastia. And we are at The Bay KQED. You can follow us to stay up to date on new episodes. And also let us know what you think. We love hearing your reactions to the stories that we're telling you on the podcast. Again, we're at The Bay KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. We'll talk to you Friday. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.